Hi, this is Steve Addison and you're listening to The Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. We're continuing our series today with Nathan Shank on discovering the missionary task. Today's topic is making disciples. Welcome back to the Self-Discovery Series. Uh, Today, we are actually moving forward beyond the matter of seed sowing, of the gospel, to the simple question, what do we do when they say yes? That brings us to this third component of a missionary task that we intend to self-discover from the Word of God. How do we disciple the new growth? Well, again, just as we have, we'll run to the Scripture. We'll let the Word of God, by God's grace and provide for us answers to this very simple question. How do we get started in disciple-making? You're familiar with Matthew 28. You remember that as Jesus called His disciples, those 11 there to the mountain in Galilee, just before His ascension, He gives them the commission, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in this Trinitarian formula in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, Jesus says. Its commission is concluded with a promise. I am with you even to the end of the age. So as we make disciples, we consider those indicatives. The How do we go about making disciples? Well, we must go. Uh, for that matter, we must baptize and we must teach those new believers, to observe, those disciples, to observe, obey all that Jesus has commanded. As we get started in disciple-making then, today we want to discover, we want to focus with your disciples on this matter of baptism. We do well to look at one of the clearest descriptions of baptism in the New Testament. The words of Paul in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, Don't you know that each of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism then, as a step of obedience for the new believer, is a a reminder of the gospel. That just like Christ, who died and was buried and rose again, we also have died to the old way of life in which we once lived. We've been buried with Christ. We also have been raised with Him into the hope of the resurrection, that we too have begun to walk in a new life, a new way of walking. This then is the symbol what's symbolized in baptism the gospel itself you realize then that this this matter of baptism this first step of obedience is also for that matter a matter of identification we identify with christ as lord well as you gather your disciples today what we want to do as we consider baptism In this self-discovery study is to consider each of the New Testament examples of baptism post-Pentecost. 
So today, beginning in Acts chapter 2, the baptism of the 3,000 new believers there gathered on the day of Pentecost, proceeding in the example of Philip in chapter 8, or for that matter, Ananias and Paul and Paul's conversion in chapter 9, the example of Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Peter's description in chapter 11, the example of Paul in Acts 16, or for that matter, Acts 19 in the cities of Philippi and Ephesus. As you consider each of these examples, I'm going to give you three key questions to wrestle, to to self-discover with your disciples. The first question, who, in each case, in each example, who was it that received baptism? Second, associated to that same audience, when did they receive baptism? And finally, a bit of a surprising study, perhaps, Who was it that gave baptism in each example? As you gather your disciples, take a few minutes, pause the video here. Let's discover for ourselves the precedent, the examples of the New Testament. Well, as we come back together, having allowed the Word of God to speak in this matter of baptism, I'll simply ask you, do any of these examples surprise you? Were we surprised to see in Acts chapter 2 the very murderers of God, those called by Peter, this Jesus whom you crucified has now been made Lord in Christ, that those who were cut to the heart lined up that same day for baptism. Maybe we're surprised uh, in other cases by the timing of that baptism, even in Paul's example, the only example of potentially of delay that during the three days, the time between seeing Jesus on the Damascus Road and, and his blindness being restored and the baptism facilitated by Ananias, presumably Paul fasted. That it's only after scales, something like scales fall from his eyes that he is baptized by Ananias and then also takes something to eat. Only after obeying does he break his fast. Maybe we're surprised by the fact that Ananias is referred to simply as a disciple. And the amazing precedent, whether Philip, a deacon, or Ananias, a disciple, maybe we're surprised by who it is that's performing, giving baptism to others. But isn't that consistent with the Matthew 28 commission? Not that Jesus said be baptized, but in the midst of the commission, in the matter of making disciples of the nations, it's that his disciples, his sent ones, might give baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well then, uh, for the disciple, the new believer, there are implications from this study. It seems that baptism is the first step of obedience for a new disciple, that it, in fact, introduces for us the pattern, the habit of obedience. It's also true that it sets precedent for the disciple maker. To be one who's on mission, to be one sent out by the great commission is to make disciples of others, in which case, We've seen both in the release and the restriction of authority across our years of ministry, the potential to bind and loose, the potential to usurp that testimony of the new believer 
or for that matter, empower that disciple maker simply by our posture and expectation. Who can receive baptism and who should give it? No doubt there's wrestling to do. No doubt that there's ongoing conversation needed wherever disciples are gathered for such a study. How does the biblical precedent, these examples that we consider, match and fit with your preferences and maybe even traditions in the fields and discipleship of your ministry? Uh, do the biblical examples challenges, challenge the practices that we may pursue? And for that matter, does anything need to change in the way we think about the giving and receiving of baptism, the making of disciples among the nations. Surely, this is where we begin in disciple-making. Well, welcome again to our self-discovery series where you have a chance to gather with your disciples and in the coming sessions, consider the matter of discipling new growth. The last time we were together, we introduced from the Great Commission the one imperative that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28, that we might make disciples of the nations. The question comes pretty quickly, how do we do that? How do we follow up and nurture new growth where people have accepted, understood the gospel? Last time it was appropriate, we began by considering the first step of obedience, that is, baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, consistent with Matthew 28. Today, we want to consider yet another of those indicatives. The, as we consider how we make disciples, the matter of going, the matter of baptizing, but also there in Matthew 28, the matter of teaching them to observe all that Jesus had commanded. How do we make disciples? Presumably, we need to go, we need to baptize, and we need to teach. Have you ever asked the question, what do we begin teaching? How do we get started in discipling new growth? And then the book of Hebrews in chapter 5 and then carrying on in chapter 6 actually describes this matter of discipleship as a matter of milk and solid food. The idea that as infants need milk it would begin to eat the first meals of their new life, so it is with the disciples. Ultimately, Hebrews actually assumes that those disciples, the audience, the readers of the book of Hebrews would carry on to the more substantive matters of maturity as they are expected to grow their understanding and their obedience to Christ. Today, we simply ask the question, how do we get started? How do we consider the matter of milk discipleship, the first lessons there for new believers? Have you ever considered the link, Matthew 28, of course, written, recorded for us by the apostle, the disciple Matthew, that they might teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded? Have you ever considered the link of Matthew 28 to Acts chapter 2? There, when the day of Pentecost, when the first disciples, Acts 2.41, tells us those who accepted the message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to the number that day. Verse 42 says something very interesting. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It seems then 
that there from the first day of faith, there from the moment of gospel presentation, the apostle Peter, from the first step of obedience that was baptism and being identified with the number of disciples there in Jerusalem, what do you think they devoted themselves to obey? It's, you see the link. As surely as those 11, those disciples were teaching new believers to obey all that Jesus commanded, we shouldn't be surprised then in Acts 2.42 to see those new disciples devoting themselves to the same apostolic teaching. Today's self-discovery study fits right there in that context. As you gather your disciples, I'm going to ask you to consider Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 47. We want to ask a simple key question. What commands of Jesus do you see the Acts chapter 2 disciples obeying? Take a few minutes with your disciples. Take a few minutes with those you've committed to gather with. And let's do this self-discovery study. Push pause now and we'll come back together in just a few minutes. All right, as we're back together, we're again debriefing and considering the results of this self-discovery study. As you looked at Acts chapter 2, 36 through 47, as you considered the key question, what commands do we see these first disciples, this first church in Jerusalem, obeying? How is it that they demonstrated devotion to the apostles' teaching? Did you make a list? Uh, if we were to list out those acts of obedience, we see that they uh, fellowshiped together, demonstrated love perhaps, that they were praying together, that they, whenever there was a need, they were giving, that they had already f repented and believed or received baptism. For that matter, as they daily met house to house, they were breaking bread, fellowshipping with one another. That's the same term, breaking bread, that the writer of Acts, Luke, uses in referencing the Lord's Supper within the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we see them praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Did you make a list like this? That they may, must have even been involved in sharing the Gospel with others. And verse 47, as daily the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So if the disciples, if the apostles were to teach obedience to all that Jesus commanded, it seems that they wasted no time. It seems that even there in Acts 2.42, there was a demonstration of obedience as surely as those new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, I wonder then what implications this carries for our disciple-making. I wonder how and who you might be calling today to the simple obedience to the commands of Christ. Surely, these simple initial disciplines and the demonstrated there in Acts chapter 2 might provide for us a menu. Those same personal disciplines we want to see developed and owned in the heart of every new disciple. We might even call this Milk discipleship, discipleship for infants in the faith. Have you considered how you might get started? Have you committed to and designed perhaps 
uh, within the worldview and the field that you're engaging, a set of lessons, uh, uh, the commands of Christ that new believers might devote themselves to obey? As we go forward in the coming sessions, as we consider the matter of church formation, have you thought for a moment that these initials, personal disciplines of the Acts 2 disciples when stewarded corporately in the same context of Acts chapter 2, that is the first churches in Jerusalem, have you considered these personal disciplines very quickly when stewarded corporately actually teach us healthy church function? In which case, the beginning discipleship lessons, here introduced as personal disciplines, might actually be conducive to future lessons related to church formation. In all these ways, then, I believe the commission is fulfilled, that we pursue the commission by introducing the expectation of obedience to all that Christ has commanded. I do believe that this level of intentionality, that is the formation and commitment to see that this same milk discipleship is provided to all believers in all places, providing and establishing, expecting the habit, the pattern of obedience is the first step in disciple-making as we carry on uh, the commission given to us in Matthew 28. If you're considering these first steps for the first time, as you're wrestling with your disciples wherever you've pursued the self-discovery study, I trust that the grace of God, the Word of God, will guide you in making disciples of the nations. Well, as we gather again for our self-discovery series, today we carry on with that matter of discipling new growth. Where people have responded to the gospel, how do we go forward with this matter of milk and meat, milk and solid food, as we get started making disciples? Today, we're going to focus on scripture intake. Do you realize that, of course, there is no tool in disciple making like the Word of God? It's actually uniquely given by God himself as a tool for us, discerning his purposes, his will, his intention, his character. In each of these ways, the word of God challenges us, engages our worldview, our understanding as disciples and disciple makers for the sake of lifelong learning. Uh, That's what we want to consider today. How and where does the word of God impact us? How does it affect us? You realize that the Word of God is simultaneously the deep well described by David in the Psalms. And subsequently, at the same time, it's the rain, as Isaiah described, as the rain falls from heaven and does not return without watering the earth, so it is with the Word of God. It will not return void. As we've already stated then, it is uh, the sharpest of tools to employ in lifelong learning disciple-making process. In today's self-discovery study, I ask you as you gather your disciples to consider the following passages, considering the descriptions of the Word of God, even within the pages of the New Testament. Uh, Let's begin in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, a passage familiar to us that the Word of God is like that double-edged sword, that it's living and active. Uh, with your disciples, carry on in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 to understand and realize the origin of the Word of God, the very breath of God and its purposes as we engage it as disciples, as followers of Christ. In the Old Testament, we could go to Psalm chapter 19, 
uh, particularly verse 7 and 14, the second half of that psalm, asking the key questions, how is the word of God described in each of these passages? And for that matter, uh, what effect do these passages demonstrate that the word of God might have on its audience? Take a few minutes with your disciples. If by chance the other passages that are close to your heart concerning the effect and the value of the word of God, what other passages might you add to the same discovery list? Take a few minutes with your disciples. Let's wrestle together. These key questions leading us, guiding us to consider the word of God as a tool in disciples. As we come back together, having considered these descriptions, the word of God, a tool we have in discipling the nations, I wonder, and we realize that very quickly, that discipleship, scripture intake, is so much more than just intellectual assent. That the very thoughts and attitudes of our heart are engaged by the word of God. They come into view even as surely as God who sees everything, examines, uses the word of God to divide joints and marrow, thoughts, even the attitudes of our heart. As a cross-cultural worker, as a worker being sent across different cultures for the sake of disciple-making, perhaps like me, you realize that the engagement of other worldviews, the engagement of targets the nations of the world and the washing that that includes the rethinking even the renewing of our minds as disciples in all these ways the word of God is indispensable it is the inspired tool for lifelong learning as you consider your disciple making how have you and your disciples committed to scripture intake how do you Hold each other accountable. Spur one another on to hide it in your heart that the overflow might affect not just the words of your mouth, but the meditations of your heart. For that matter, I'll ask the question, are there fresh commitments that you and your disciples are spurred to make today that the word of God might dwell richly in our own heart as disciples and surely in the hearts of our disciples, wherever we may be led. I would say to you, considering this study today, God bless you as we consider this matter of discipleship. And I trust that the Word of God will be of effect today. Well, I hope you're enjoying the series. A reminder that you can visit Nathan's YouTube channel uh, in order to uh, watch the videos there, um, especially if you're working through these sessions as a team.